I was embarrassed and I was afraid that my people in my professional career were going to see this side of me. This is episode number 37, Just One Person at a Time, with Travis Lloyd. Welcome. My name is Oleg Lohid, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle to achieve their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your fullest potential. Before I introduce today's guest, I'd like to make a brief announcement and invite all of our listeners to our upcoming conference in Philadelphia on October 20th, a conference where you'll have a chance to hear from seven speakers all adoptees or former foster youth, a conference where you'll have a chance to connect with hundreds of other people who are going through a similar journey that you are. For more information, please go to overcomingodds.today forward slash events. Now, let's get back to our guest. He is a mental health professional, speaker, hip-hop artist, and mentor. But most importantly, he is someone who's been there and done that. He is a former foster youth who is currently exercising his voice to inspire others to share their own story. Without further ado, please welcome Travis Lloyd. Well, first of all, thank you so much for being a guest on our show. And I wanted to start this off by giving a brief background of why I chose you as one of our guests. And then from there, I wanted to let you introduce yourself to the audience and to some of our listeners. I chose you because of your involvement with some of the organizations that you mentioned before. Um, I also chose you as someone who's been there, done that. So someone who's lived through that experience. And that is really the whole purpose of the show is to interview people who have first-hand experience and to allow others to understand what it's like to either live through the foster care system or through adoption experience. So what I wanted to do was I wanted to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself to the audience, who you are, and your vision moving forward with the work that you're doing. Sure. Uh, Well, it's an honor to be uh, along for this journey as it's getting started for Overcoming Odds. Mm -hmm. Um, Kind of ironic that the first book I ever wrote was called Overcoming Emotional Trauma. (laughs) So kind of in the same world, right? Uh, So it's kind of that synchronicity effect that's allowed us to align. Uh, and so Every, I'm really excited for Everything happens yeah. for a reason. Yeah. So um, my name is Travis Lloyd, and I am an inspirational speaker, keynote speaker, with a focus on fostering change that matters. That's kind of my coined phrase mm-hmm. that I pair with this idea of overcoming adversities and overcoming emotional trauma. Um, I built my platform in uh, 2007, and I've been growing it ever since with the goal of helping organizations create change that matters and actually find ways to improve outcomes while still being inspired and energized, right? Uh, (laughs) But um, the reason I was able to build my platform is because I was able to draw on a lot of my own personal experiences to help build some organizations and programs that influence uh, at-risk populations. Um, And that uh, those experiences paired with my background in healthcare 
uh, afforded me the opportunity to be viewed as credible uh, yeah, when I absolutely. go into a lot of these organizations. And it's not that I'm anything special, but uh, uh, but I, I feel really fortunate to, to be on that platform. And to act within your story. Yeah. Which brings me um, the theme of today's conversation that is going public with your story. One of the things that I've noticed from the work that we started doing is that a, everyone has a story, but the second part of that, oftentimes people have a hard time telling that story. And even for those that have shared that story through our platform, there is still a missing part. And what I mean by that is, we've had a lot of people that have shared their stories, and instead of putting their first or last name on the story, they decided to submit it anonymously. Mm. So my question to you is, when did you decide to go public with your story and what steps did you take along the way that maybe not prevented you, prevented you, but helped you go from anonymous to being known as Travis Lloyd? Sure, it actually goes pretty deep for me. Um, and I, I kind of thought about this subject before I came, but mm -hmm. I think now that we're in the midst of it, it's yeah. causing me to reflect a little bit deeper. Um, and it was very real for me, I think, the very first time I ever attended a conference where I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a large group of people who are here for the same purpose, the same vision. Um, there's energy flowing and there's people that are growing, mm -hmm. right? The first time I experienced that was at a national conference for foster youth. And I was there as like a, a, an adult supervisor or advisor for these teens. But at the same time, I mean, I was just barely in my 20s. And still trying to figure out how exactly your, like how does this life work? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and and um, when I was there, Usher was the keynote speaker. Oh wow! Um, right. So they had Usher as a keynote speaker, and they had Ludacris, relatively a big name. Yeah, in yeah. World. Well, and the conference was in Atlanta, which is where Ludacris and Usher are both from. Oh, okay. So uh, it was super huge, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but. Uh, they seeing that presentation and Usher and the impact that he had on all these young people was it inspired me to use my own voice in a way that I'd never been willing to be public with before. Mm. And this goes back to all while I was young, 17, 18, I started writing poetry, but I would never mm -hmm. let anyone read my poetry. Mm -hmm. And I was afraid to perform it. Then when I was in college, I started getting to know some hip hop performers, some R and B artists, okay. and hanging out in a local, you know, rap <laughs> studio, and and that's where I started to feel like I'm like I belong here, you know, like this is who I am. This is your tribe. This is yeah, I gotta do this. And um, but then even all through college, people would hey, you want to go practice performing at you know at the local uh, karaoke club. Oh man, I can't do that. I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> and so this was the breaking point is there was a producer that I really admired. He's so super, super talented. He studied at the, um, uh, in Boston at the school of uh, music, uh, world renowned school. And he took me to a club and he knew that I was obsessed with Tupac. So I knew like every Tupac song and every word. Uh, and so he signed me up use my name to sign up for karaoke a Tupac song wow. and they, I didn't know it so when they called my name he's like that's you man <laughs> so I was like forced to rap a Tupac song at the age of 19 in the middle <laughs> in the middle of this club <laughs> incredible yeah, and, it, and it pushed me outside of my comfort zone but then now fast forward a few years later I'm out of college I'm working with this youth group I'm at this event where Usher is and then they say 
there's an opportunity for an open mic performance. Now, this is for the young people, right? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I had just written my first song called No One Else, talking about no one else understands what, what's going through my head or what my experiences are. That's, yeah, that's, that's what I was feeling on my whole life, right? Mm -hmm. And I had never showed anyone that song before, uh, but I had that song on my 2002 HP laptop. Wow. And, on a, and, I, and so I ran to my hotel room and I burned it onto a CD and I gave it to the DJ. And I performed this in front of 600 teenagers from all over the country who all grew up in foster care. And, <laughs> and the response, uh, I was so nervous. Like I was shaking when I did it. And then when I got off the stage, Mind you, this is just a karaoke thing. There's like all yeah. types of talented kids from all over the Typically, country. Typically, there's no pressure when you get right, yeah. the karaoke, <laughs> but this one's slightly different. Yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, afterwards, just, oh, man, these kids just started attacking me. And they wanted my signature, and they wanted to talk to me, and they wanted to share their stories with me. Man, I can really relate to that, right? And... Um, that felt so good to me to know that I was able to inspire them to know mm -hmm. that it's possible to do something bigger, mm -hmm. right? To, to be brave, to be strong, to go out there and use their story to help people. But I still wasn't to the point where I was ready to do that. Mm. So all these teenagers... Um, started looking me up on social media, you know, like MySpace and... <laughs> back, back in the day, that was the version of Facebook. Yeah, yeah, and I was ashamed and I was embarrassed and I was afraid that my people in my professional career were going to see this side of me because mm -hmm. um, I was working full-time as a trauma nurse at the time. Mm. So I was a registered nurse working in the emergency departments and I was afraid Showing of what they would... professional yeah. Yeah, like, oh, gosh. It's different. Absolutely so I changed different. my name on my social media so that, like, these kids, uh, when I was at the event, and I thought about, like, I, I just on a whim, they're like, what's your name? And I started telling them Travis Lloyd, which is the name that I go by now, but it's actually my middle name. Lloyd is my middle name. And so that way, like, when they look things up or if they share something or they're talking about things online then anyone who knows me professionally won't be connected to it. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's how, that's how deeply seated the, the embarrassment or the shame was. I was afraid to let, let the world know the real me. Uh-huh. Yeah. I've, I've actually, and that's one of the questions I had for you because that's an experience I've dealt with on my own. When I came, first came to the States, I was 12 years old, I didn't speak English, I didn't know anything about this part of the world. Oh, wow. And one of the things I learned along the way is that there are different levels of courage that I've developed over time. And so I'd be curious to know as far as when it comes to that, in your case, you might have started, in my case, I started with close friends, relatives, and then from there expanding that group as far as sharing my story and, and the deeper parts of who I am and the things I went through. How was it like for you? And do you have any advice for people who, let's say, are in the phase of just beginning to share their story and then those that are ready to take action and share it with strangers and then know that when you share it to a group like that, there will be thoughts of misunderstanding, yeah. potential embarrassment, guilt, or anything like that that comes along the way. Do you have any advice for, for people that are in that stage of their life? I think I can get to some advice, but I, th I think it would be helpful to have some perspective on mm -hmm. how, how the journey that I took, right? Absolutely. You took a very strategic 
journey to sharing your story and making sure that you're safe and protected and healthy in the way that you do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't feel safe, protected, or healthy in being able to share my story with people closest to me. And so I didn't intentionally work on sharing my story. Mm. Um, I got thrown into the flames multiple times and was lucky enough to have developed enough confidence to do it. But that confidence only came because there was a very specific why behind why I was doing it. So the producer that I admired, I didn't want to let him down. So when he challenged me to perform, I performed. You had no other option. That was it, right? Because he knows that I spent hours and hours and hours writing lyrics to music that he produced, but I haven't done anything with it, mm-hmm. right? Um, when, when the time came and there was inspiration and uh, it was an opportunity for me to perform in Atlanta, I performed and uh, you know, I was kind of like, it was just, there was so much pressure. It, I was just ready for it though, right? Uh-huh. And what allowed me to get there was because when I did get pushed to sharing something, I saw that I wasn't alone. And the feedback that mm. I received from other people, from strangers, said, you know, gosh, I wish I could be like you. And I'm just like, uh, you, know, you don't want to be like me. You know, like... <laughs> at least not at this stage of my right? life. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and then um, after that event in Atlanta, word got back to the state director of this program that I was working with, right? Uh, and she found out that I performed. And I was like, I was embarrassed. I was like, man, am I going to be in trouble? Because I was supposed to be a supervisor there. And she was just like, when she pulled me into her office to talk about it, I was so nervous, but she was like, oh my gosh, that's so amazing, Travis. Like, I'm so glad that you were able to do that. Like, that's really inspiring for these young people who want to be performers. And mm. and I'm like, wow, like, what are you talking about? And she actually uh, uh, gave me some different opportunities when she recognized that. And she helped, she helped facilitate me co-producing a full hip hop album for these teenagers. <laughs> Right. Like, (laughs) and what I found was that's where my why was, because I would see like these kids who were struggling to lift their head up, who Mm -hmm. were struggling to participate in a way that will help them grow, uh, who were just struggling to not get beat up, Mm -hmm. you know, while, while walking to school. Like those kids, when they had the opportunity and were encouraged, just like she was encouraging me, Mm -hmm. started to thrive. And they started to have confidence and they started to be able to define what they wanted in life instead of just surviving every day. Interesting. And when I saw that, it was a reflection of me. I'm like, oh, shoot, like that's exactly how I lived my whole life. And maybe that's what you needed the most. Yeah, I needed to see that I was able to help them get there mm-hmm. so that I could do it for myself. Right. And so that became my why. And I said, you know what? I don't care how embarrassed I am. I don't care how ashamed I am. These kids have a chance. And if I can use this to give them a chance, I'm going to do it. And I don't care how much I get thrown under the bus. Uh, And uh, so then, you know, the next opportunity came with um, that state director calling me up again. And she said, hey, 
Uh, I need you to meet me in this city at this time. I need you to bring three of your most talented young people who grew up in foster care so that they can utilize their stories. We're going to be speaking to a group of attorneys who are ready to graduate from from you know, law school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, they, and they have an impact on child welfare law. Uh, and I'm like, oh, sure. Interesting. I can be a leader brother. here. Let me grab these you know, young people and we'll talk about it while we're driving. And I'll boost their confidence. I'll get them ready. And we show up. And I get nervous because it's this really nice conference room. All these lawyers are in suits. Suits and ties. Yeah. Like <laughs> and she says, okay, Travis, you go first. What? You know, like, what are you talking about? She's like, well, you have to set the example for these young people. Um, and I think you do a really good job of it. I'm like, oh. So here I am, like, just put, you know, out cold in front of a group of attorneys uh, with a goal of helping them understand what it's like to struggle with something that's wrong with laws Uh related to child welfare. And so on a whim, I had to come up with a story about my own experience, my own journey when I was young, experiencing multiple different uh, educational systems and uh, how it ended up being a struggle because, um, you know, I was at one school here, there, three different schools in the same school year or whatever it was, and the struggles that I had to go through in order to get the paperwork that I needed. Mm. Uh, and then while still dealing with the fact that I haven't seen my mom in months and being worried about her safety and all these types of things, I just shared, just put this all out there in like a five-minute presentation, and I was like, started, I was about ready to cry, and I'm like choked up, you know? I get done, I'm like, I, I, that was horrible. I did, that was so horrible, I, did, I, I didn't do anything. And then, and then um, so I got done, and all these other kids then went right after me. And I'm like, oh, like if they can do it, I can do it. Like why am I beating myself up? And then um, afterwards, I, like, everyone was like, oh man, you're, like, you're really talented. Like I'm so thankful that you were willing to share that with me, that really, changes my perspective about how I'm going to deal with these things as I start my career and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, there's another why, Mm. right? There's a why, like some other kid's life is going to have a better experience because I was able to talk through choked up tears, you know? Did you ever have any feelings of what your foster parents and maybe even your birth parents would think when you first started sharing the story? And telling the truth because the reason why I ask that is one of the things that I've had a rather difficult time doing is sharing some of the parts about people that are still alive and that's, that have access to these videos, these podcasts. So when you say things that, that are actually true, that happened in the household, the abuse and all that, all those things, it yes, it puts a spotlight on them, but at the same time, I'm coming from a point where I'm not trying to make them bad people by any yeah. means. I'm just telling the story that I've lived. So in your case, was was there ever a moment like that where you might have had to take a step back and said, hey, I've got to hold off on this, or I'm not ready to share this part, or I need somebody else's approval? Were there any of those thoughts that came to mind? Yeah, that lasted for years. Wow. <laughs> that lasted for years uh, as I was first getting started. Um, you know, 
everyone in my immediate family um, at one point or other, another got mad, um, got frustrated, got sad, you know, stopped talking to me, um, mm-hmm. or maybe just didn't stop talking to me, but always kind of had something in the back of their mind, like a chip on their shoulder mm-hmm. because of what was happening. Like when I published my book, it. like they were afraid to, to read it. Um, and, uh, and so w- what I found was I had to build up my own confidence to not need approval and to know that I'm doing what's right for me. Mm-hmm. and to not give a crap what anyone else thinks or says. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it takes a lot to get to that point, right? Courage, absolutely. Yeah, but I, but um, over the years, as I re- would butt heads with somebody, um, the one thing that I found is that their anger or frustration or sadness is not truly directed towards me. Correct. Um, it's... It's a reflection of their own journey and their own growth and not wanting to face certain things, whether it's something that they did or something they experienced as Mm. their own fault or not, right? Um, And when I recognized that, I was able to sense what their energy was upon initiating the conversation. Um, And when I published my book, that's when it really became easier. I said, hey, you know, I wanted to just drop a copy of my book off for you. Um, you know, here's a part that I think you would really like. And uh, gave one to my mom, uh, gave one to my sister, gave one to my aunt and uncle. And for those of you who know my journey or know my story, it was, uh, uh, you know, my younger years were a bit chaotic with my mom and my dad and my, and my sister. And we all just had different journeys. And then I ended up living with my aunt and uncle in high school after experiencing multiple foster homes in Seattle, Washington. Okay. And uh, so my aunt and uncle were kind of my, uh, my rocks when I found somewhere stable uh, for multiple years, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's still parts of the story that they didn't, you know, want to hear or that they weren't familiar with or that were shock, shocking to them. And um, so I, I gave it to all these important people in my life. And, you know, two years goes by and I look at it and, it, and this, the book has still been unopened. Mm. The same spot where I left it, right? Mm. Like, <laughs> and I'm like, it, at first it was like, does that mean you don't support me? Like, what do you do? Like, what's going on here? And then... Uh, once they, once I gave them time to process it and to think about it, uh, then I was able to sit down and have a conversation with them about, you know, why they're feeling a certain way or what they're feeling. And when I was able to approach them in a way that was not about me, but that was about, hey, like, what's your thoughts on this? Um, you know, for my sister, she was able to... Um, expressed to me that she felt shameful that she wasn't able to be there for me the way she, a big sister should have been, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. For my mom, she didn't, you know, she didn't want to remember some of the things that had happened and um, and didn't feel that um, the way that I experienced them was the same way that she experienced them. Mm. Um, and for my uh, my aunt, you know, she she um, you know kind of didn't know a lot of the things and so she was a little bit angry and like gosh I didn't have no no clue that you were going through all this and blah 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 Uh, but each time it gave them all the opportunity to process and heal a little bit 
and ask questions maybe along the way. Exactly. And then and then when they would approach something in a way that is based on assumptions, I was able to recognize, hey, I understand why you would feel like that, but can you at least hear it from my perspective? Mm-hmm. Um, and when I would ask permission, instead of just vomit my life onto them, mm-hmm. my, the, my experiences of my life onto them, um, and ask them be, to be willing to see from a different perspective, um, then it created the opportunity for us to develop a relationship. I want to dive into your work a little bit and the book in particular. And the question I have regarding it is, what's not in the book? What is something that maybe you've developed <laughs> over time through your message that looking back at it now, you may think that might have been a good thing to have in there? Wow, that's a really good question. Uh, I've never been asked that question before. Um, you know, I'm actually in the process of building some new content. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole idea of fostering change that matters. Um, and I think that that's going to turn into uh, a new book in the, okay. in the near future. Uh, and so I think that the, th- the thought process of what I'm thinking about for that book is probably what you're talking about, is yeah. what, what was le- left out from there. Um, I would say a lot of it is about the specific approach to intuitiveness. Um, as I reflect like on my life and my successes and my failures, um, so much of everything has depended on my ability or inability to be intuitive in a certain situation, and that all relates to emotional intelligence mm-hmm. um, and, and being empathetic and understanding where other people are coming from. And so yeah. I think that um, if I were to do that book again, I would add an, a, an entire chapter just on that. You know, the, the book touches on that subject matter a few times, right? Um, it talks about empathy, and I, but I think that I think that, you know, some people are naturally intuitive. Some people are naturally emotionally intelligent. Um, and some people are not. It, but I believe that it is a, a skill that can be learned and taught through experiences. And over time. Yeah. Interesting that you, you mention it that way because I'm in the process of working on a, a book of my own. And the, the thing that I'm learning from this is, A, it takes a lot of self-accountability to actually sit down with yourself and your thoughts and to put it on paper and to make it cohesive. Oh, yeah. it, it's one thing, I, I remember at first when a friend of mine who's an author himself, he just said, hey, you just need to sit down and spill it out, yeah. put that story out there. And to some yeah. extent it is true, but it, it, and one of the things I learned through that, and you might've experienced this yourself, is putting together work like that, it is a tremendous, amount of self-discovery that you go through and you actually it's it's a dialogue that you have with your inner self yeah so I think having something like that is very important and it, it brings up a very good quote that I learned I heard this a couple months ago and it's an author she's based out of here she was a, a former foster youth herself and she's written I can't tell you how many books 30 40 oh, at, wow. at least 
And her whole motto, motto is to, um, she believes that everyone should write a book. Every single person in this lifetime should write a book. And to some extent it makes sense because when you look at people and who we are in general, we all have our unique experiences. Just because, for ex myself and my brother, we've lived in the same household for however many years. We've lived entirely different lives. Yeah. Same thing with you know your story. And so I think it's important, and, and I'm noticing this more and more as people share their stories through the Overcoming Outs platform, is that they want to be heard and they want to develop that voice, but sometimes they hit that barrier where they share it and they think, I can't overcome this. Or what do you do with the, all this trauma and all this information? How do you organize this? How do you put it together? And I think what you mentioned before, having the why, you know, what is your why? What is the purpose of all this work that you're doing? That I think helps out a lot. When you can define it, or at least define the first step of that larger why, mm -hmm. then it all starts to fall together. Well, I, I think um, a big part of helping people heal and overcome difficult past is um, all about the self-reflection, as you were saying. Mm -hmm. um, and so when you, when you think about that, like writing a book for yourself without a why mm -hmm. um, can be less terrifying because you, you don't have to share it, yeah. right? So it's no different than journaling in a strategic storytelling way, mm -hmm. right? So that could improve the process a little bit to make it a little bit easier, just change your perspective on it. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not going to share this. I don't have to share this. Nobody can make me share this, but I want to do this for me. And uh -huh. I think that doing that can be some of the biggest self-therapy in oh, the world, absolutely. right? But when it comes to finding a why for sharing it on a public platform, um, it's uh, in the in the approach to organizing everything. It, I think if you ask yourself the question, you know, what are the three, five, seven, or ten things that I want the world to know? that my life experiences could help somebody else with. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's not your stories. Maybe it's the lessons that you've learned from your stories, mm -hmm. right? Um, and you, you make a list of all of those, and then you make, you know, use those you know, lessons yeah. to write out as the chapters. Mm. So you've got 10 lessons that you want to tell the world, and those 10 lessons can become 10 chapters. Yeah. And then under each of those chapters, you write down, okay, what three life experiences do I have for each one of these lessons? Mm -hmm. And which one of those is more powerful or which one am I more comfortable sharing? Um, and that, like just doing that dump in a strategic way that's in line with the type of difference that you want to make in the world will make it a lot easier to process your own personal crap. Mm. Interesting. I want to I want to continue on with that segment and actually um, dive into the work that you're doing as far as when it comes to public speaking, sharing this message, sure, and sure. actually one of the reasons why you are in Austin, Texas, period. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that, and then what is it that you're trying to create with that particular pl platform of sharing it in front of different professionals, different organizations, and then youth along the way? 
Sure, sure. So uh, the reason I'm here in Austin is because uh, one of my a clients... for this podcast is one of them. Yeah, and I just I came just for you, Ole. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was great that we w- were able to, uh, par- you know, buddy up on, on making it happen while I'm here. But mm-hmm. um, a, my client, Texas Workforce Development, uh, they, they brought me here for my classic keynote and strategic sharing panel. Uh, so I, I generally offer clients uh, a, a combination uh, of these two things. You know, most event planners will contact me and they're like, hey, we've got a lot of workers, a lot of professionals who are burnt out, they're fried, and they need to be reminded of the type of difference that they make. Um, and in order to do that, we want you to share your keynote that's titled just one person and the just one person keynote is something that I it took me years to develop right Mm -hmm. because when I first started keynoting I would just go in and vomit my story you know and like what's the outcome here right like I don't know it's sometimes it would inspire people because of their personal experiences but the vast majority of the audience would just be like like that was good he's really good but why you know, what am I supposed to take out of this? And so when, when, I, when people started asking me that question, like, what's the point uh, in your keynoting, that's when I started to really hone in on my brand and create this idea of just one person. Because um, as I started to go through my book and process my story and reflect on it, I recognized that my growth stemmed specifically from one person at a time teaching me one little lesson that helped open my mind to view my world Mm -hmm. differently than I had ever viewed it before. And there's, you know, a few very specific key instances that changed my perspective and my way of thinking and my way of life from accepting where I was, accepting survival, accepting struggling, accepting potential prison, Mm -hmm. accepting everything to turning that around and saying, there is a different way of life and I do deserve that. And I am capable of creating that even if I don't know how to do it right now. Mm. Right. It was one person at a time that helped make that shift over the course of many years. Uh, and so that's why I have this thing of just one person for my keynote. And through that keynote, I actually kind of tell the story of not just myself, but my family members and, and the intergenerational cycles that repeat mm-hmm. uh, and how we've been able to kind of break some of them. Um, and it, and I, it's like I end the keynote with a performance of a song that I wrote um, called Where Should I Go? Uh-huh. I, Where should I go when everyone knows that I have been told I'm going nowhere? And then I rap, right? Wow, that's pretty good. And, and so uh, that's what a lot of people who come from tough backgrounds like experience. Where should I go? No one else understands this, uh, but everyone's telling me because of where I come from that I'm nothing. So where am I supposed to go, yeah. right? And just one person at a time answered that for me, right? Interesting. Um, but then you know, people ask me to come out and do that inspirational message, and I ask them. I say, okay, so. If you're a child welfare agency or an organization or even a corporation Mm -hmm. and you're wanting to inspire and re-energize your workforce, whether you're child serving, uh, adult serving or corporate world serving, Mm -hmm. uh, how are you incorporating the voice of the people you're serving? Mm. Your clients, 
your your young people like what how are you doing that in your event if i'm going to be involved in your event mm -hmm. i want to know that we're actually making a difference right you're going to pay me to come out there you're going to pay me to spend time you're going to pay me to inspire and, and perform um but whose life is going to be changed mm -hmm. and how and uh, if they can't answer that, I say, you know what, at no additional charge, I would like to offer to provide the service of a strategic sharing panel, mm. right? And, and so it's like these strategic sharing panels are very simple, um, but they're very, very powerful. It all started when I was actually doing an event with a government agency in South Dakota. It was mental health professionals, justice professionals, social service professionals, uh, all the judges, lawyers, social workers who work in these systems. And I got to facilitate this panel based on recognizing that there's gaps in the system that are allowing things to fall through. Correct. Right? And during that panel, I changed the way most panels are done by offering only four questions, no more, no less. But instead of just allowing people to answer the questions, I offer follow-up dialogue. And I make it a discussion that occurs live in front of the audience. Um, and the four questions that I generally use uh, starts with, who are you today? And what are your dreams, goals, and aspirations? The reason being is because so often when we get in front of an audience and there's panelists up there, yeah. they're perceived to be either an expert, uh, a delinquent, or, uh, or just a standard worker, uh, you know, based on mm -hmm. who they, what, what they're doing right now within mm -hmm. that organization. And uh, so I like to bring out the reality of their humanness. Mm. You know, who are they today and what are their dreams, goals, and aspirations is able to give the audience an idea of just what they are as people, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and take away some of the stigmatization. The second question that I follow up with is, uh, what is your, you know, what is your journey in this system or organization? If it's a corporation, we talk about what has been your journey through experiencing life as an employee or life mm -hmm. as a service recipient. Uh, if it's a, you know, child welfare or mental health agency, you know, what has led to you experiencing receiving services from these agencies? Yeah. Um, and, you know, where have you come since then, right? Uh, just getting the the real nitty gritty story out there, mm -hmm. and then the third question is, what are some of the positive experiences that you've had that have helped you work towards achieving your dreams, goals, and aspirations that you shared with us earlier, mm -hmm. right? And that gives us an opportunity to re-inspire the audience, so the people who have already been doing those good things, they can be reaffirmed and say, oh yes, that's the type of thing that I do. Um, and the people who are missing the mark, they have the opportunity to self-reflect in the middle of an audience alone, silently to themselves and say, oh, I see how I could do that better, right? Because that person just said that's a really positive experience for them and I haven't done that for somebody. Uh -huh. Now I can because I know that that's important, right? Uh, but the, the final question and the most impactful question is, What's one example of when this organization or system failed you? And tell us about, you know, how that happened and how it made you feel without using names. Reflection. Yeah. And so they're able to share an experience of, that was just really negative for them. 
but with the intention of helping people understand how to prevent those negative situations from happening in the future, right? Mm -hmm. And oftentimes the event planners who are initially talking to me about this, like it, maybe it's their CEO or just their dedicated event planner or the assistant to the CEO, and they're like, uh, I don't know if we should incorporate that question. Maybe we shouldn't end on that question because I don't want to make it a negative vibe. And uh, and what I've found through the years, I've done these all over the country, actually now internationally. And yeah, right. I'm super excited to, to be able to say that. But uh, what I found is if we end a panel on a high note, it doesn't leave enough opportunity for that self-reflection to create questions during the Q&A. And action. And action, right? Because we end the panel and then we open for a Q&A and we have people running mics and there's always good questions that are related to ways to improve the negative outcomes and mm -hmm. prevent them in the future. I love that. I love every single one of those segments because it, it really challenges, I think, who we are as people and why we're put here in the first place. I, I firmly believe and I live by some of those principles. I think there is no, in my mind, the time and energy that's being put in having surface level conversations, which don't lead anywhere, I think it's a yeah. waste of time. So I think it is important to ask questions like that or questions about your the, the story, the journey you went through. Because if you think about it, oftentimes throughout life, we don't really get that many opportunities unless we're seeking to share our story. How many times do you go to a grocery store and instead of the person asking you what kind of bag would you like, how's your day? What are you struggling with? Yeah. Questions like that don't get asked. So I think you being in that role and asking them the tough but rather just normal questions, everyday questions that I think all of us should receive that's an important role to play. And so I admire you for doing that and I hope that you continue that and elevate those questions as you go from one event to another. Yeah, well, I'm, I really get excited when I do the strategic sharing panels, which is why I offer it to my event planners at no additional charge. Because mm -hmm. um, I think it's one of the most important ways that we can create change that actually matters. Mm -hmm. Lasting change, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, but uh, not all of them. Not all of them take it, but most of them do. Yeah, and it, and it's always exciting when we can. And just like you said, one person at a time, one day at a time. Yeah. And if you change one person's life in that room, your your job is complete. Final thought for today's episode, and that is, when the odds are completely against you, what are some core fundamental principles that you always refer to? I would say, the one primary principle that has saved me even in recent times is that I recognize when I'm triggered mm -hmm. and I remind myself that I'm strong enough to overcome that trigger. I'm strong enough to not go back into the same way of thinking of being lesser than. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and when I am able to have that dialogue with myself in the midst of crisis or in the midst of a difficult time where, uh, where I want to give in, uh, it creates the opportunity for me to do a energy shift. Mm. Um, yeah, 
which for me is generally uh, like I need to actually go physically to an inspirational environment. And as soon as I am able to consciously make, consciously make that shift from that negative energy, from that circling and negative thoughts and say, I'm going to, I'm going to decide that I'm in control of this and I'm going to walk to this other place and I'm going to have a conversation with somebody about whatever it is that their life is going through. And boom, that's able to snap me out of it and I'm able to be Travis Lloyd again. What inspires you or what brings you the most joy in life? Mm, it depends on when you ask me, man, because I go like I have a lot of passions and I like to learn new things. So I'll tell you, like, it ranges from music production to um, traveling and just taking random road trips to wine and beer tasting in small towns. Uh, and right now, the biggest thing that's inspiring to me and I'm having so much fun with is construction. Construction. Yeah, man. I just bought. I just bought like a ton of. Like, like I. I now have a collection of contractor tools, and I'm like doing <laughs> construction projects. <laughs> I mean, I do my own stuff too, but like, but um, I get so passionate about it. I'm very detail oriented, mm. and I've had some people see some of my work, and they're like, "Hey, can you come do this?" And I'm like, "Oh, sure. <laughs> like, we'll pay you. Really? Okay, let's go." You know. <laughs> wow. So how do people find you? Uh, TravisLloyd.net, T-R-A-V-I-S-L-L-O-Y-D.net. Or you can just simply Google my name, Travis Lloyd. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd love to connect on uh, uh, any social media platform. Uh, if you want to be professional about it, find me on LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah, that's how Oleg found me. <laughs> there you go. I yeah. appreciate it. <laughs> for Thank sure, man. Thank you so much for being on this show. And best of luck to you with everything that you do. My pleasure. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't done so already, feel free to subscribe to our weekly newsletter so you can receive all of our latest episodes, featured stand up and speak up stories, and ways you can be involved with Overcoming Odds. Once again, thank you for listening, and we'll look forward to having you next week.